You're listening to a Count Out Podcast. Nigel gets another crack at Morshia, and Brian declares he's up next. This and more, we're live in Tokyo on Pure, a Ring of Honor retrospective podcast. Once again, welcome to Pure Ring of Honor Retrospective Podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening in and enjoying this ride that we're doing going down the era of honor throughout the 2002 to now era. Um, last week we brought you, or two weeks ago, we brought you a little episode on CM Punk. I hope everyone took the time out and enjoyed that episode. But we're going to get right back into We're going to get right back into the shows with... Uh, 2007 shelf on July 22nd. We're live in Tokyo. So, Ring of Honor's first time going to Tokyo by themselves and promoting a show over the course of two days. We're going to be talking about the first night. Uh, this night was with uh, Pro Wrestling Noah. Uh, Osaka, the second night, was live with Dragon Gate. So, we'll be talking about that later on in the podcast. But once again, this has been a really fun time for me to just dust off the old DVDs and remember what was. This is a really good way for me to remember all the good that Ring of Honor brought in the time frame of 2002 to now. Um, and we're going right into it with another great episode today. I hope you guys enjoy it. We're going to be talking about, the, like I said, live in Tokyo. Headlined by Takeshi Morishima and Nigel McGuinness in their second attempt, or Nigel's, excuse me, second attempt to win the RH World Championship Brian Danielson faces Go Shiyazaki and declares himself number one contender after his match for whoever wins this title match. Plus, we have some fun tag matches, a Jimmy Rave match, and also a Delirious sighting. So this episode is going to be a lot of fun. Um, once again, this is part of the Countout Podcast Network. You can check us out at Countout Pod. You can check me out at Sean Taggart 531 um, You can check out all the shows that we have here on Countout Podcast Network. Uh, how to talk to your friend about wrestling, your dose of death, indie waters, and always the, I guess, flagship show or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, pure. Or honestly, if you want to listen to something else, you get to listen to uh, Ring Post Radio. And that's also live every Sunday morning on Twitch and also Twitter. So if you don't want to wait for the podcast feed to drop in, you get to watch that live. And you can also watch Happy Hour Live where the uh, members of the Count Out Podcast Network take their time out and just wind out, play some fun games with some cash prizes, and also go for that ta- uh, title um, that someone has. You know, we can insert name here or something if we really wanted to. But... I think it's time to kick us off and get ready to talk about Live in Tokyo. Show starts off with a speech by Delirious. And, I mean, let's be real here. We all know Delirious can't really talk or talk well. He has a match later on the show against Roderick Strong in a fight without honor match. So pretty much a no disqualification match, no rules, no, nothing really here to really talk about. But out come his stablemates in the No Remorse Corps in uh, Davey Richards and Rocky Romero to soften him up a little bit for the match later on for uh, Roddy. Um, Jack Evans and Kataro Suzuki come out and make the save and we open up the show 
with this tag match right here. And this was going to be slated later in the show, calling to Dave Prezak. But now, nah, why wait? Let's just do it now. And I agree, this match was a nice way to start off and give us, uh, as fans, those in attendance and then those watching on the DVD when it came out, a real nice chance to just see these talent perform. Uh, for my first time seeing uh, Suzuki in a while, I mean, I've watched his show, I don't know how long ago, but it's been a while. Um, so it's really nice to see them really work well with the Noah talent here. Uh, we do have some nice back and forth. Uh, Richards and Romero work very well together as a team, um, very much working on the strikes. Uh, Rocky also bringing in some of his submissions that he's known to use, really stretching out a guy like Jack Evans, who really has been a thorn of uh, Roderick Strong's side as a former members of Generation Next. They split off Vulture Squad for um, Jack Evans and obviously No Remorse Corpse for uh Roddy, but here you get to see just everything that Jack Evans does, and it's a shame that this Jack Evans isn't the Jack Evans everyone gets to see when he showcases himself on AEW. Obviously, we all know it's a little bit rough now to see Jack Evans wrestle, especially if he misses like a 450, something that he was notoriously very good at hitting and could hit with his eyes closed. It's just very upsetting to see all that, you know, fade away a little bit. Not into obscurity, but more so... And the fact that this guy had a lot of potential, and he's and he showed that potential. He made a name for himself more in Mexico uh, with the AAA promotion when he went down to Mexico. But you get to see here really just how good of a wrestler Jack Evans is, and Jack Evans was. Um, his high flying offense would catch up to him and bite him in the butt in this match, as we would see, you know, Rocky and Davy really taking advantage of Jack for his mistakes and his miscues during the match to give them the upper hand and the victory in the very first uh, match here on the card today. We get a quick promo here from Brian just really going over his match today, saying that this is an opportunity for him to restake his claim as one of the best in the world and also one of the best wrestlers currently going today. Um, and he has a big opportunity to showcase uh, his skills against somebody like Goshi Ozaki and also to stake his claim as the next number one contender to the Ring of Honor World Championship, which honestly isn't a bad thing. I mean, Brian hasn't really been in title contention since he lost the belt to Homicide at Final Battle 2006. What well, great way to put him back into the title contention, get this big dub over uh, Goshi Ozaki and see what happens. So we go back to the ring and we go back to a match here, which is just highlighting some of the younger competitors here in Pro Wrestling Noah. We have Shuhei Taguchi and Aki, Aki Ito. So we have a very good match here, a lot of back and forth, just really showcasing some of the strength and the uh, credibility here of the Pro Wrestling Noah Young Lions here that we have available to the Ring of Honor roster at this time. It's your generic uh, Young Lions match. Really nothing here to talk about. Nothing really to um, focus on and concentrate on. I mean, this right here is a great uh, showing from both. Um, as we know, they have going to their own separate directions and stuff like that into later on in their careers. You look at Ito, his career never really took off. So he was done uh, entering career as of... 2009 when you look when you look at Taguchi he is now still wrestling in pro wrestling Noah but under the name King Tanny he is part of a opening tag act here in Noah uh, 
you know, very nice. He was part of the Noah and New Japan show in their pre-show. So, I mean, this guy right here, he's still wrestling. He's still putting on and entertaining everyone now. Um, and he really showcased here just how good he is and how good he can be um, in this, like, nice little opener uh, or second match on the card, actually. But a nice, true way to get everyone to really appreciate what you have going on in terms of the Young Lions talent that's out there and available today. Um, Ring of Honor really focuses on bringing in some of that talent so they can work hard and, you know, work well with each other um, and get those reps in. Plus, they'll showcase that local talent. I mean, obviously, they're in Japan. They want to showcase some of the Japanese talent. What better way to showcase some of the young lions in pro wrestling know that may not get the opportunity or the chance to really, truly shine like they should. So this was a good uh, example of a good showcase match for two young lions here. Um, we go back to the Ring of Honor action, and we get uh, Jimmy Raven, BJ Whitmer. Uh, we get to hear about, you know, uh, with Rafe, he just came back with a, from a jaw injury after uh, getting that jawbreaker lariat from uh, Nigel McGuinness. People are talking about maybe he came back a little too soon from that injury. Uh, on commentary, we get to hear that a little bit. Um, we do also get the reintroduction of Jimmy Bauer, also known as um, Gabe Sapolsky. So we get some Gabe's, uh, Gabe thoughts in this uh, match. He's just really putting over the card and the event itself. Really excited for the uh, semi-mains uh, six-man tag match that gets to see Ricky Marvin. So he's excited for that match. And boy, we'll talk about that match a little bit later on in the show. And I was just as equally excited for that match too. But... Really, what we get to see here is just two different stories. With Whitmer, he's coming off of injuring Jimmy Jacobs and that gruesome knee injury that he had that he's still not fully healed from. And we don't know where Jimmy uh, is. We don't know um, if Jacobs is going to be coming back, if he's able to come back. But right now, all we know is that he's not part of the Ring of Honor roster as he's recovering from that knee injury. We'll talk about that on an upcoming episode of what he's been up to. But when we look at this match here, it's a very nice uh, Ring of Honor showcase match. This is a match you would see around this part of the card uh, between these two competitors. Really, I feel, you know, I've talked about Rave the last couple of episodes. But again, really good showcase of his talent and his ability to really take over and use his character work to the betterment of not only himself, but also the betterment of his opponent. Also looking at what B.J. Whitmer... B.J. Whitmer was a very good hand, and I don't mean that in a negative way. You put him in any spot on the Ring of Honor show, and he would deliver for you. This is a prime example of him getting to the chance to showcase himself and deliver. Uh, I mean, he had made many uh, major successes in other independent companies, mainly IWA Mid-South, but I mean, his time in Ring of Honor was a long one. It was a well-tenured one. And he got to transition from the ring to the backstage area where he would become a very good producer for the company. And he also would become one of the first producers for uh, All Elite Wrestling AEW. After his contract expired with Ringer of Honor, he was asked by the Bucks and Cody to join them on this venture, and he agreed to. So we get to see really, you know, some of these wrestlers that come into the ranks and are really good hands, but they have value elsewhere in the company. And you need wrestlers like that to have a successful and healthy promotion. And this is something that Ring of Honor has done very well throughout their time here, is they would find those wrestlers and use them to their extent. Oh, we need you to fill in for, in this tag match. We need you to jump into this singles match here. We need you to do this, do that. They would get rewarded. 
They would get their title shots. They would get rewarded with some big victories every now and then. But they knew their responsibility in the ring, and that was to help put over their opponent. Whitmer did that in this match, and I think at the same time, too, Rave helped put over BJ as one of the stronger competitors on this roster and someone to be looked at very seriously. It was a very good back-and-forth match. I really feel as if there could have gone a little bit longer, um, but Jimmy uh, picks up the victory here, and we move on to our uh, first half main event if we want to call it that so we get into our first half main event if you want to call it that brian danielson versus go shiazaki and let me tell you right out of the gate these two brought it this was a very well contested match this was a nice back and forth action that you expect i really like to see more of this match and really break down just the holds themselves Brian was working over the arm and trying to make him not use certain moves that would power and use off that powerful arm of his. Uh, Shiozaki was still trying to power through that, still trying to do all that, but Brian just made it too hard for him to do all that. I mean, as you can see, as the wear and tear continued to go on in the match, as the work continued to go on in the arm, you saw Brian, you know, really take advantage and really start focusing on um, jumping on that arm really breaking it down, taking care of the shoulder, taking care of the different areas of that arm, where honestly, if you really think about it, if he didn't do all that, this might be a different outcome. Brian really showcased here why he is the best in the world. Um, he, he had a nice outside spot that he jumped from the ropes over the barricade into the crowd where Shiazaki was landing and hiding for the time being. But we got to see a lot of cool things in this match. I really feel as if when this was going down, there was some questionable um, back and forth. And, you know, I do think Brian wanted to have Shiazaki shine as much as possible. I don't blame him one bit. Shiazaki is one of the more uh, recognizable wrestlers besides a um, more Marafuji and also besides a Kensa that they were bringing even um, more Shima, the current Ring of Honor champion here. So you do have a lot of people here trying to really get over and uh, make themselves known. Shiazaki, like I said, uh, last time we covered a match of his, he would then eventually join in and join up with uh, the Sweet and Sour Inc. But at the same time, you really get to see a lot of fun uh, back and forth. You get to see Brian be Brian in this match, and honestly, that's, you know... A great thing when you can see Brian just in his element and enjoy what he does and he works on those holds he wrenches in that oh you can just get lost into that match all of a sudden the match is about almost a half hour and this had a 30 minute time limit Brian wins and you're like oh, that was it like because it feels so quick every time you watch a, a Danielson match uh this they do it for, he does it for me um the Bucks do it for me Certain wrestlers doesn't feel like the time that they put out on a match. It always feels like it's a lot quicker, a lot more um, energy is played in this match. The crowd was into this match, clapping, cheering, doing all that stuff. They were really feeling the uh, energy in this match. It was helping and feeding off the competitors in the ring here. Both Shiyazaki and Danielson felt the energy, and they used that to their advantage. It was a really good back-and-forth match. I felt, you know, we had some near falls with Shiazaki that I bit to, and we had some near falls with Danielson that I bit to as well. Like, so 
this was an evenly paced match and Brian really just focuses on himself as the true number one contender going into tonight's main event to take on the winner between Takeshi Morishima and Nigel McGuinness. During um, intermission, we get a quick interview introducing Ricky Marvin to the Ring of Honor audience. Really excited to be here, wants to come to America. Todd Sinclair's with him, and I, I guess he was just making sure he would do the interview. I don't really know what the point of Sinclair being there was, but we had a funny little moment with Todd and Ricky where he would come out. Um, he was starting to talk, and all of a sudden, he, uh, Todd goes, oh, I have to go, I have to go, I have to ref this next match. He runs away, confuses Ricky Marvin. We do also get to see a backstage interview with Brian, pretty much thanking the interviewers for taking the time to interview him. It was uh, a nice touch there. It got you a little bit backstage into the idea of how this uh, operation was ran, how this show was ran. A very good show up and down. I mean, a lot of good pieces of this card, and we're halfway through it. We have three matches left here. Once again, you're listening to Pure Ring of Honor Retrospective Podcast here on the Count Out Podcast Network. We come back from intermission and we are met with the fight without honor match between Roddick Strong and Delirious. And when they talk about a no disqualification, anything goes match, this match goes throughout the ringside area. I mean, these guys wanted to beat one another up and it shows. I mean, you see a lot of back and forth action. Delirious really trying to bring pain to Roddick Strong, vice versa. I really feel though that this match never truly hit a second gear and it happens sometimes with um the matches that uh delirious has i really feel like sometimes he doesn't get to that gear that you know we expect or we wanted to see out of a ring of honor match but it was a fun match regardless i mean anytime you get to see chairs ladders anything like that involved in a non-ladder or any type of setting like that in ring of honor it's an exciting thing to see but we get to see a lot of fun stuff that goes on here. Uh, Roderick, really master of the backbreaker. You can't deny that. He does a lot of great moves and uses his backbreaker finishers and maneuvers, really, to get ahead of the game and really break out um, away from this match against a guy like Delirious, who is very slow and tactical. He really tries to make every move that he hits count, and he tries to make sure that it hurts. So with this match right here, a lot of interesting points in this match. One of them being, you know, Delirious really just wanting to beat the shit out of uh, Roderick Strong, and which shocked a lot of people in this match. I mean, you know, Delirious does have the tendency to go off kilter and go off script a little bit, but this was just something that I think, not off script per se, like everyone, you know, will assume this is going to happen, but... You know, he gets a little crazy sometimes. The, you know, the insanity in him breaks out. And, you know, we had some cases in this match where that did happen. I really feel, though, with this match, like I said, it never really got to that second gear. It just fell flat in some areas. But the crowd seems to be into it. And honestly, that's all you can really ask for. If the crowd's into it and the crowd's enjoying it, who cares what I think? Who cares what, you know, some random person on the internet thinks and is talking about this match? They enjoyed it. It's not very often that, you know, uh, a promotion in Japan would be running something like this. Sure, you had a Big Japan uh, Pro Wrestling running the death matches every now and then, but that's one promotion. Noah, you wouldn't see this, really. You wouldn't see this in All Japan, New Japan, and even in Dragon Gate. So having an experience where it's a little bit more of a hardcore-style match than a loose match where weapons are involved and people are getting excited for the use of those weapons... Just, you know, if you're going to be doing it, you might as well do it to this crowd who doesn't normally see it. And this crowd ate it up. They enjoyed it. And honestly, like I said, 
that's really all that matters. You shouldn't matter what I think, what anyone else thinks. Did they enjoy this match? And honestly, the consensus to this is yes, they did. They super enjoyed it. They wanted to see more of it. And Delirious does pick up the win here. A big win for him. But, you know, Roderick's mindset on Jack Evans, he has to take care of Jack. And we get to see that the next night in Osaka. Um, next, we go on to our semi-main event, the six-man tag match between the Briscoes and Nomichi Marafuji and uh, Atushiaki, uh, Ricky Marvin, and Matt Seidel. One thing to talk about, you know, this had a little bit of a mix-up in the beginning. Uh, Mr. Chainsaw by Alkaline Trio hits, and out comes by himself Matt Seidel. Um, I guess the key wasn't known to the other wrestlers in this match that it was time for... Uh, the other two to come out with um, Seidel. So there was some confusion on that part. Confusion on my part because it was funny because all of a sudden as uh, Give Me Back My Bullets by Leonard Skinner uh, started playing, we heard um, the uh, other two, uh, Marvin and Aoki, uh, run out and try to catch up with Seidel. And um, it was an interesting little you know, 10 second thing where Marvin was just very confused and sharing his frustration with Matt Seidel. Matt Seidel said it would be okay. It seemed like Aoki and Seidel have tagged in the past and they, he seemed fine with it. They were just ready to have a good match. And, you know, <clears throat> one of the things here that I want to focus on is Marafuji and the Briscoes never really teamed with one another, but you couldn't tell. It really felt like those two were really uh, a well. That team was a well in the machine. They're uh, focusing on Aoki very well, holding him in his side, um, holding him in their side, making the quick tags on one another to really just drive home the point and really take over and be more of the heelish team in this uh, match. People were really into the um, offense that Ricky Marvin had to offer. It was nice to see somebody else who would bring a luchador background into Japan. Obviously, they're not very used to that, but it was nice to see Ricky Marvin get that spotlight here in this match. Honestly, I really feel, you know, Marvin has a lot to offer. His stop in GCW last year against Jordan Oliver, which hasn't led to a second match. We were supposed to see that in a follow-up Atlantic City show after their uh, really decent match in um, Las Vegas, but we just couldn't get to see that. Hopefully, uh, we get to see that sometime this year. But honestly, just a very good up uh, match. A lot of very good classic Briscoe moves that you didn't know the Briscoes did and or don't remember the Briscoes did just because, you know, it's the Briscoes. You don't normally see them do these sentons. You don't normally see them, you know, fly over the ropes the way they did in the, in the day. And it's nice seeing some of that crawl back into their current indie run that they're doing. Um, with, you know, the likes of GCW, Defy, some, you know, other promotions as well. They're getting those chances to really showcase themselves and remind people just who they are. And, you know, another great thing coming out of this is just the fun that the two brothers are having, cutting these promos with one another, doing these funny skits with one another, just really getting on to the point where, man, they're just having a lot of fun. It's really great to see. I'm sure, you know, when the time's right, they will sign with a bigger company. But right now, let them enjoy this ride that they're having because, honestly, it is a very fun run for the Briscoes. The Briscoes and Marafuji would get the victory after Mark hits um, a uh, doomsday device off the rope, uh, off the shoulders of uh, Jay. And they get the three count there. It was a very good match. A lot of back and forth, but really 
what really stood out to me was the well-oiled machine, that team between the Briscoes and Marafuji were just working well with one another, doing everything right. Like I said, the back and forth helped, and I mean, honestly, it made it more interesting. It didn't seem so one-sided, didn't seem so lopsided, so you got to see all that here um, in this match here. And then, obviously, in the words of Mark Henry, it's time for a main event. So let's talk about this main event a little bit. I mean, this is the second attempt for Nigel McGuinness to get the ROH World title off of Takeshi Morishima. The second opportunity, he understands what will work and what won't work this time. He has a lot of things going up his sleeve that he wants to try and wants to make sure that it works for him. Um, Morishima, on the other hand, he's been dominant. Like, no one really could beat him or it comes close to beating him. He hasn't really felt that level of, you know, sheer um, anxiety or f the sheer, you know, will this make it to the point where I can't do this anymore. He's been very good and he's been very understanding of what his, you know, power and his strength is. And he's using that that to his advantage. Um, and the early going comes off a lot of the same for Morishima. He really isn't affected by any of the offense that are good friends um, Nigel McGuinness is putting on him. He's really just affected more by the lack of offense, which is very funny to take a look at. This guy wants to get beat up. This guy wants to be in a war. This guy wants to fight. And his opponent just can't give him the, uh, the level of violence that he wants. So you get to see a very frustrating Morishima in that uh, effect. You also get to see a very frustrating McGuinness. One of the things to point out here is that both of them have different reasons that they want the title. Uh, obviously, Morishima just wants it because, you know, he can become or be considered one of the better wrestlers in the world, top dog in the company. Uh, Nigel needs it just to make sure his legacy is cemented as a top wrestler in Ring of Honor and in professional wrestling. That's one thing that sticks out here is his need, his want to be one of the better wrestlers in the world and everything like that. It really sticks out, not as a sore thumb, but as something really to mention here, it just doesn't fit into the need or want of what, you know, makes a good champion. It's more, it brings on a lot of self-doubt in him. And I think in the early matches and the early going of these matches between Nigel and Morishima, because there are a lot of them throughout 2007 before the inevitable happens and Morishima finally gets thrown by him. You don't really get to see him succeed the way he wants to succeed. He wants to become one of these guys that, you know, gets fed off the energy, gets to do a lot of different things here. But I do feel as if he's trying too much. He's trying to do too much. He's trying to push too much. He's not really working on his basics and what brought him here. If he brought that back and worked on that, I can tell you he would have won it a lot earlier than he did. But, you know, all of a sudden, you know, he kicks out of the back uh, drop driver, one of uh, Morishima's finishers, and that just shakes the crowd and makes them go wild. Because almost it was a knockout blow for a lot of these guys here in Ring of Honor and even in pro wrestling Noah. So seeing a guy like Nigel take that back drop driver and take it well and really focus and bring the attention to him really just gives you this benefit of knowing that Nigel's getting it. He's understanding what he has to do to survive. But there's still the pieces that he has to put together to make a full, complete match. 
and also just make himself look like a more powerful challenger than he already is. Now, also at the same time, too, we have Morishima who just isn't really used to getting this amount of offense against him. And Nigel in this match, the jawbreaker lariat after jawbreaker lariat after jawbreaker lariat finally gets Morishima down. And we really haven't seen Morishima down on a leg or a knee that often in his title reign. So, you know, Nigel has that thought going back in him. I have what it takes to get him to the point where he has to fall down. Eventually, if he falls down, he can't get him back up. Sure, you would see some pin attempts during other uh, matches between uh, with Morishima defending his title, but nothing really stuck as much as that. So, a lot going on here in this match, and you have a lot of the Pro Wrestling Noah and Ring of Honor roster just hanging out and you know supporting their their roster members. You also have Brian out there watching this match a little bit closer as uh, he's ready to take on and wants to fight the next, be next, pretty much. He wants to get the ability to fight Morishima or Nigel for that title. Um, obviously, as we all know, this comes to the point where, you know, I think Brian becomes a little too obsessed with winning that title back, where he has to really just focus on himself again, really find out just who he is as a wrestler, which, you know, he lost the title, and he lost it into a point where he, you know, felt like he was untouchable. He lost it against Homicide at Final Battle 2006. We talked about that. We've touched on it. But he felt untouchable. He felt to the point where he couldn't do anything wrong. And honestly, like, it showed. I mean, Brian really brought out his best in these matches and his comeback from his shoulder injuries and all the other injuries that he had to deal with during this time. Held, he healed right up, and he was ready to take care of it. But I think, you know, a lot of that also had to do with, you know, them realizing that Brian doesn't need to be the focal point. He, there's other guys here that can step up into that role very nicely. And as we get deeper into the end of Brian's run in Ring of Honor, you get to see how he then decides to put over, not decides, but puts over some of the talent very nicely here. Um, this is a very good back and forth match going back to the match here. But, I mean, at the end of the day, Morishima's just too much for Nigel. Another backdrop driver, his, the second of the match gets a three count, and we have a re, uh, Morishima retains. At the end of the match, Brian comes into the ring and gets in Morishima's face and says, this is mine, it belongs to me. And then we get some back and forth and pull-aparts and stuff like that. Getting that plant seed planted in, Morishima said that Brian's next, and it's not going to be easy match. And it shouldn't be an easy match for Morishima just because, you know, this is Brian. Um, Brian's the best in the world. He claims he's the best in the world. He's proven he's the best in the world. So, yeah, he's going to be showing off and showing out in this match. Um, very good attempt here by um, Brian and everyone. But also an even better attempt to showcase Morishima as a ready challenger for uh, Brian. And it's funny calling Morishima a challenger because this is truly going to be his big test. In Ring of Honor, can he hang with somebody like a Brian Daniels? And he's proven so far that he can hang with pretty much anyone on the Ring of Honor roster. But he hasn't faced Brian yet, and that is really something that he has to dig his teeth into and feel like he belongs here. We give you another great show in Ring of Honor history with this episode today of Live in Tokyo. Another episode that we have in the works is going to be the Live in Osaka show, but that's not what we're going to talk about next. We're going to go all the way back to 2003. We're going to talk about WrestleWave 03, a show that was done back on June 28th of 2003. 
includes a um, title match, uh, NWA, excuse me, world title match, a ROH title match between Joe and Dan Math. The NWA title match has AJ Styles and Chris Sabin, but a TLC match between Trent Asset and Homicide. It's a very good match here. One of the better matches that Ring of Honor has to offer in this early era. Um, and we'll talk all about it then and, and then some. Um, once again, this has been a pure Ring of Honor uh, retrospective podcast. I do really appreciate you guys taking the time out and enjoying this. This show would hold up. I mean, if you really think about it, there's a lot of good and a lot of very interesting pieces of this show would be excellent to have as a match now. I mean, Morishima and Nigel, Big Man and Little Man trying to fight. A lot of good things here. I really feel as if Ring of Honor in this time period especially was just churning out show after show, good show after good show, uh, night in and night out. I really feel as if, you know, there's nothing more here to be said about this. This was a very strong card. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at SeanTaggart531. You can leave us a review, uh, subscribe, like, listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. You can also review on Spotify now. So if you listen on Spotify, leave that five-star review. Also, as always, leave that five-star review on iTunes. Once again, this is Sean Taggart. This has been the Ring of Honor Retrospective Podcast. We'll see you in a couple weeks. This has been a Count Out Podcast. Hi, guys. This is Lauren. This is Michael. And this is your Dose of Death Podcast. If you're genuinely curious about the world of deathmatch wrestling, look no further as me and Mike have you covered on all things in the world of deathmatch wrestling, whether it's interviews, show reviews, or everything in between. We have you covered on all things deathmatch wrestling, whether it's past, present or future and you're probably wondering where you can go support us you can find your dose of death podcast on all major podcast platforms especially along with the count out network of podcasts and also you can support us on the count out patreon as we have exclusive content only on the patreon for all of our listeners we hope that you go listen to your dose of death podcast very soon and see you at the shows